0: In 1978, 77, 78, 77, in 1977, I joined the United States Air Force. While I was in basic training, I found out that the job that I was slated to do was I was going to be trained to load bombs and rockets onto the bottom of aircraft. And I said, that doesn't feed my soul. It's not something I really want to do. And so I went to my boss and I said, isn't there any way I can get out of this? And he said, well, yeah, there's this list of jobs you could do that would take higher precedence. So if you want to volunteer for one of these special jobs, you can see if maybe you would qualify and whether the Air Force would allow you to do it. And I would look through the different jobs. and. Some of them were pretty exciting and cool. There was pararescue and a bunch of other things. But one of the things that intrigued me was being a linguist. And so I put in the paperwork and requested that I be released from this job of loading weapons onto an aircraft and be put into the linguist career field. So I had to take a, 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 what's called a D-Lab, which is a Defense Language Aptitude Battery. It's basically a bunch of tests that see whether or not you can learn this mumbo-jumbo language that they just make up for this test. And how, how well you score on that test will determine whether or not you qualify. Well, I scored very high. That's an area where God has gifted me as languages. And so I was then removed from the weapons mechanic career field and put into linguist career field. And I was slated to become a Korean linguist. And then I got out of basic training and I moved to Monterey, California where the Defense Language Institute was. And the very first meeting I attended was there was like 30 or 40 of us in this room and there was a captain standing at the front and he was letting us know that we had way too many people graduate from basic training. They did not anticipate having this many people get out of basic training. Because there's always an attrition in basic training. This particular crew, didn't have that and the end result was they had way more people showing up to start language training than they actually had seats in the classroom. And so they had to say, okay, this group of people are going to be put aside and wait for another six weeks for another class to start. The rest of you will start on Monday. Well, I was going to be in the class that started on Monday, but I'm still scheduled to be a Korean linguist, even though my heart and passion was to be a Russian linguist. Well, there was a guy across the hall from me in the dormitories who was scheduled to be a Russian korean a Russian linguist, and he wanted to be a Korean linguist. So we both walked up to the captain, and he said, and and we said, we are both supposed to start class on Monday. He's supposed to be Korean, and I mean, he's supposed to be Russian, and I'm supposed to be Korean, but we want to switch. Can we do that? And he went, I don't care who does what? I just want to make sure that all of the seats are filled. Just show up to class on Monday. That's all that matters. Okay. So I changed from Korean to Russian. Then I spent 10 and a half, almost 11 months of my life studying the Russian language, and I graduated with flying colors. Actually, I was the bottom of my class. <laughs> However, I was one of 12 who graduated out of a starting class of 25. So at least I graduated. But I was in the bottom of the class. Um, And then I got started into the uh, rest of the training, and then something happened, and I ended up not going into that career field. And it's a long story that you don't need to hear this morning. Why did I tell you that? I'll tell you later. Let's go into the, the, the scriptures. As I was praying this week and asking the Lord... Where and what? Which Bible character do you want me to talk about this week, God? I really was, a, was stymied, honestly. Because literally, as I'm praying, I was like, God, there's like hundreds, literally, possibly thousands of people I could talk about. Really, truly, you need to show me. I mean, really and truly, God, you need to, you need to show me. And you're just sitting there quietly, letting me stew. And he literally said well, if you would just go do your private devotions, Bob. Now, I was doing my private devotions, okay? I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't. But as I was praying in that moment, I was like, God, I need you to show me. He said, just go do your private devotions and I'll talk to you when the time is right. And as I'm reading my private devotions, right there, God says, see, it's not all that mystical and magical, Bob. You just need to do what you know to do. Just walk the path that's before you, and I will reveal my will to you. Just do it, okay? You have a you have a method. You have a a, a process that you follow. You sit down and you and in my I'll tell you what mine is. I I I uh, I sit down in a private space. I have a space set aside in my house. Sometimes I don't do it in there because Alex is around and he likes to play and he comes running and says, "Will you play with me, Grandpa?" And I'm like. Trying to be spiritual here, so um, so sometimes I move over to the church. But the bottom line is, um, I, have a pl- I go to a private place, and the very first thing I do is I light a candle, and it's just that's me. You don't have to have a candle lit to be spiritual, but that's something that's important for my spirituality. So I light a candle, and then I have a, a, a set set of prayers that I pray. I pray the uh, the Apostles' Creed. I pray the Nicene Creed. I pray the Our Father. I pray what is called the Jesus Prayer. And I pray uh, the the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And these are just to quiet my heart before God, to get myself ready to then pour out my heart to God. And then I spend time in prayer for myself, for my family, for you guys, for the community. Then if I feel appropriate and feel led, I'll journal a little bit, which is still a form of prayer. And then finally... I have my devotions, my, my 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 reading of the scriptures. So so this week, and again, and the way I do it is I do three chapters out of the Old Testament, three chapters out of the Psalms, the daily proverb, and three chapters out of the New Testament. So I just travel through the Bible as I as I do my prayer and Bible time, Bible time with the Lord. Well, this week, as I was doing that, I was reading out of the Book of Esther. How many of you people have? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. But how many people have never read through the Book of Esther? Don't raise your hand. But just if you need it, I can tell you the gist of the story is that there's this young woman. She's Jewish. She lives during the time of the um, of the uh, the Babylonian exile, and her 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 mom and dad have died, and her uncle brings her in as his own daughter. And it's not her uncle. It's actually her cousin, but he's old enough to be her uncle. But bottom line, he, he's a family member and because she's left as an orphan, he brings her in to be his own daughter. And he rears her to love God and to serve God and, and to, to, to just honor God. Now, it's interesting if you read through the book of Esther, God's never mentioned. Throughout the whole book of Esther, God is never mentioned once. The closest they come to saying anything about God is that they fast and pray. So who are they praying to? Well, one would assume they're praying to God. But he's never mentioned by name. So anyway, so this situation comes up where the king needs a new queen. The queen, all of the beautiful women, young women of the uh, of the, the nation are summoned to come to the palace. They, and Esther gets swept up in that. And when she's leaving, more, uh, uh, her, 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 her cousin, her uncle, her father, his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai says, don't let anybody know you're Jewish. Do not let them know you're Jewish. Just do everything you can to honor God, but don't let them know you're Jewish. And then as it turns out, if you read through the story, Mordecai becomes a prominent person in the story. He's always checking on her. He's always standing outside in the gardens of the harem, trying to get word from her or to her to find out how things are going with her. And he also becomes a member of the court And he's sitting in the gate, which is kind of like where they do all the business transactions of the, of the, of the community. And he's there. Well, there's this man named Haman. And Haman is described as an Amalekite or an Agagite. A-G-A-G-I-T-E. Agagite. And Haman is kind of like this bigwig in the community. And the king actually has him like as the grand vizier kind of thing. He's like the number two, number three guy in the, in the, in the nation. But the bottom line is this. Haman thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. And Mordecai's like, I see right through you. And Haman makes it so that the king decrees that everybody has to stand in my presence when I pass through. I mean, sit and bow down in my presence. And Mordecai's like, "Mm, not. And so Haman comes in, everybody bows down and Mordecai's standing like, Really? You think you're all that, huh? And the end result is, Haman is just livid, and he wants to have something done about Mordecai. Well, what I haven't told you yet is that Mordecai, because of where he's at and positioned, how God has positioned him in the court, is Mordecai becomes aware of a plot to assassinate the king. And so Mordecai goes into the gardens of the harem, and he gets word to uh, Esther, who by this time has become the queen. And he says, you need to let, you need to let uh, the king know that there's a plot against him. And so Esther goes to the king and says, hey, my uncle Mordecai, the guy who raised me, he just found out that there's some people plotting against you and you need to know about it, king. So the king does an investigation, finds out that it's true, and then has the two guys executed. And Mordecai is honored by being part of the court. And it's honored by having it recorded in the history of the annals of the king. Now time passes. Haman's all upset. Haman's like, this man is just a burr under my saddle. I want him gone. I want him dead. I don't, ugh. And his, his wife and his friends say, well, you got enough power in this place. Just get him killed. Just have him declared that he's got to be executed. Just talk to the king. Well, Haman comes into the court very early in the morning with the intent of coming to God, to the, to the king and saying, you need to execute Mordecai because he's such a blah 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 blah. Well, what Haman doesn't know is that the king had a sleepless night. And the king, because he can't sleep and is all riled up, says, Oh, give me something to take my mind off of this. Just something, just something boring. Come, read to me the the the, just the records of the court. That'll help 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 me go to sleep, kind of like counting sheep. So the the the, his attendants are reading through the history of the kings and all of the decrees and all of the stuff. And during that reading, there is the record the, the the recollection of what. Mordecai did in identifying the two potential assassins and how Mordecai basically rescued the king from, a, from an assassination attempt. And the king stops the guy and he says, so what did we ever do for this guy? And the, the young man standing at the reading says, the record doesn't show we did anything for him, sir. He says, huh, interesting. And then he hears a noise. He says, who's that out in the court? And so the young man says, oh, that's Haman. Well, tell him to come here. So Haman gets ushered into the presence of the king and the king says to Haman, now remember, Haman was on his way early because he wanted to get Mordecai killed. And the only way he was gonna do was get the king to declare that Mordecai needed to be killed. And so Haman comes in and the king says to him, Mordecai, I mean, Haman, I got a question. If I wanted to honor somebody just cause I wanted to. What do you think I should do? And Haman's like, well who would he want to honor other than me? I mean I'm like all that in a bag of chips. Well this is what I would do, King. I would put a robe on him, one that you've worn yourself, and I would, I would let him ride your personal stallion. And I would, I would have him paraded through the streets of the city of Susa with someone standing holding the horse going, this is what's done for someone who the king wants to honor. That's what I would do, King. And the king goes, "That's a great idea. Go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> wow. And so Haman is just!" Oh, and he goes home and he tells his wife, "Ah oh, my life is over, my life is over." And she said, "Just build a scaffold and kill him." And he starts building this scaffold. I mean, he has the scaffold built, but again, he doesn't have the blessing of the king. And he goes to the, goes back into the no Esther. That's at this point. Esther then um, no he goes back to that's what he, he goes back to the king and he says, King, there's this group of people in the nation. They're all throughout the nation, and they need to be killed because they are not loyal to you and they're wanting to overthrow you. He's trying to build a case against the Jews, and so the king basically says, Do whatever you think is appropriate. And so he gives him the signet ring and he makes it a rule that the Jewish people are to be killed on this particular day. Well, then Mordecai comes to Esther and he says, we have a problem and you have a problem because even though you've never told anybody you're Jewish, you are just as much liable to what's going on in this scenario. And she's like, I'm not allowed to go in to see the king. Unless he calls for me, if I try to go in to see him and he doesn't extend the scepter, they're going to kill me. And Mordecai basically says, "You're dead anyway, sweetie. If you don't do something, you're going to be killed. Do you understand? And not only you, but all of us. And this is the part I wanted you to read. I wanted you to hear. Um, it is found in the book of Esther, chapter four. And this is the t- this chapter four is this discussion between Mordecai and Esther about this problem that Haman has just made for them. And if you go down to, let's start at verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 4 of Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I haven't been called to come to the king for these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that the king's palace, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. And here's what I wanted you to hear, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther said, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Then Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now. This story is very very well known. I mean, when it's told in Jewish culture, they literally it's like it's like a melodrama. When it's being read in Jewish culture, when it's being told, every time the name Haman is spoken, all the children go, "Boo!" Sh- and every time Esther or Mordecai said, they go, yay! So this is it's this really cool, famous story. Well, the one thing that this story is well known for is that statement that Mordecai made to Esther. Who knows, but for such a time as this that God has raised you up for this specific purpose. And that's not what I wanted to talk with you about. I wanted you to look at the phrase just before it. Verse 14 Chapter 4, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. God is going to accomplish God's purposes regardless of whether you want to participate or not. God has a plan and God is going to make sure that the plan happens. The difference is you're being offered an opportunity to participate in it and to be blessed through your participation. So you have a choice to make, Esther. You can choose to use your place and position and authority that has been given to you by God and maybe it's even for such a time as this that God did this or you can choose not to but never fear God is not going to allow the people of Israel to die just because you're too scared to get up out of your room and go talk to the king. Why? Because as we Jews know, God made a promise to our forefather Abraham that it was through us that he was going to bless all the nations of the earth. We know because of the prophecies that have been spoken over our people that the, the very Messiah, the anointed one, will be coming from our line. We know. That God's whole plan rests on the Jewish people, so we can uh, we can know and be assured. Oh, and even when even when Elijah thought he was the only one, there was still over seven hundred people who had not yet bowed their knee to Baal. God Himself said that. So you need to understand, Esther. You need to understand. God's got a plan. God's not going to let the Jewish people be decimated and destroyed. We might die. But God's plan is going to come on. And I'm telling you, somehow, someway, God is going to make a a way for the Jewish people. But wouldn't it be cool if it was through you? Wouldn't it be cool if you were the one that people for thousands of years later spoke about because of your faithfulness and your ability to walk in the path that was placed before you and walk by faith? Wouldn't it be cool if God used you to affect the salvation of the entire nation of the Jews. Do whatever you feel is right. Do what's in your heart. But if you say no, you're missing out on an incredible blessing. It's up to you. Now, let's go back to my Russia. 1978, I graduated from Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California, I get to San Angelo, Texas, where I meet my wife, and I find out through a lot of circumstances that you 're already aware of that i 'm not going to be able to continue in that career field, and God then moves me on a different path and i 'm a carpenter and then i 'm a personnelist and I deal with casualty assistance, and then I finally end up in personal affairs I mean in the family support world where I deal with a lot of stuff, that all of this ends up preparing me for my ministry here in Two rivers, all of it and <clears throat> I get to two rivers. In two thousand and three. And sometime around two thousand four or so, God says to me in my private time, Bob, I want you to get your Russian language back. Lord, it's been almost thirty years. It's been twenty-five years at least since I've studied the Russian language. What are you talking about? Oh (laughs) look what God does. Steve and Yelena Montag move to Two rivers. Yelena just happens to be Ukrainian. She just happens to be fluent and training her daughter to speak the Russian language. And she also is helping her husband to learn Russian. And we become friends. And I say, would you help me? She said, I'd love to help you. But I just never found the time. It just was never convenient. So then I went to the library at Fort Wainwright. And I checked out some audio tapes on the Russian language. And I kept them on my desk in my office and never turned on the tape player. And then I, got, I had to return them because they were borrowed from the library. So then I bought a set of my own, too cheap to buy the Rosetta Stone stuff. I just bought the generic thing, at whatever was here, Walden Books or whatever the... There were some CDs that are sitting in a little black case down in the left bottom right hand drawer of my desk. They're still there. I don't think they've ever been turned once. <laughs> then I have an iPhone that has Duolingo app on it and I'm studying Russian. <laughs> Isn't that great? 2006. There was a person who was part of the Church of the Nazarene in Nome. He was Army. He had a passion for the Slavic people, and God, in God's providence, moves this person to Fort Greeley, just outside of Delta Junction. And he has a passion for the Slavic people, and he wants to start a ministry among the Slavic people. But he's not a minister. He's a he's a he's just a layperson. And he wants to see God reach the Slavic people with the message of holiness. And he says to the district leadership of the Church of the Nazarene in Alaska, would that we had someone who could speak the language, who could go and minister and preach so that these people could hear the message of holiness, I would join that person and I would help to plant a church in Delta Junction area, among the Russian speaking people so that they could come to know heart holiness. And the district leadership said, God in His providence had the district buy property in the Delta Junction area years ago with the idea that maybe someday there might be a church. We already own property. It would just simply be a matter of putting a building on it. Wow, we've got a layman who's willing to plant a church. We've got a property that's already paid for. It wouldn't cost a whole lot to put a building on it. We just need a minister of the gospel, someone, a Nazarene preacher, who can speak Russian. Do we have anyone? No. Why? Well, because two years ago, God told me to get my Russian language back, but I didn't because I was lazy. Well, I guess we're not going to do that. Let's move on to something else. Why isn't there a Church of the Nazarene in Delta Junction today? No one else. God had laid out everything. Everything. And in 24 months before the opportunity was going to be presented, he Put the burden on my heart to get back what I had just let go. I already had the training. It was just a matter of getting the vocabulary back. It was just a matter of refreshing myself on the grammar rules. But because I was too stinking lazy. How many people don't know about heart holiness? Because of me. And I'm going to have to answer for that when I stand before the judgment seat. Now, I'm not trying to make it more than it is, okay? I am not all that in a bag of chips when it comes to God's plan, okay? Just like Mordecai said to Esther, it is possible that God brought you here for such a time as this. But if you don't, God's plan is still going to be affected. Don't think that you're that good that you're going to stop God's plan. Okay? And it's the same way with me. What did I, what what happened? I lost out on an incredible, incredible blessing. I lost out on the opportunity. I don't want to say it this way, but to have my name brought before the world as the pastor that planted a Russian-speaking church. And you know what's even worse? And doesn't the scripture say something about giving us the desires of our hearts? Did you know that from the time I was 18 years old and I read the book God's Smuggler, from that time forward, I have had such a burden and a passion for the Slavic people. I wished that God would allow me to be a missionary to the Slavic people. I have friends that I went to language school who were missionaries and are currently missionaries to the Slavic people. And that has never been given to me. Well, it almost was given to me. Men whose fault is it that I didn't get the gift? And there's absolutely nothing I can do about it now. That window closed a long time ago. Sure, I still have the Duolingo app, and sure, I have been diligently, well, not so much in the last year, but I was diligently trying to get it back, and God was like, What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, you know, Caleb and Joshua were the ones that were faithful of the twelve. You're one of the ten, boy. You're one of the ten. You won't be entering that promised land. Sorry. You missed it. Now, I don't walk around carrying that burden going, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Oh, I missed out on what God could have had for me. Oh, But, but, but as I'm preparing this sermon, whew, it all came back in spades. I'm sorry, God. I am very sorry. I've confessed. I've repented. If you ever gave me that opportunity again, I'm on it. One last thing, and then we're done. If you go to the book of 1 Samuel, and I believe it's chapter 10. No, it's chapter 15. I'm sorry. No, chapter 10. 1 Samuel, chapter 10. If you go to 1 Samuel, chapter 10. um, Where did it go? I didn't have it marked down in this Bible. I have it marked in another Bible. Sorry. All right, it's in chapter 10 somewhere. It's the anointing of Saul as the king. And it's the scripture that's right here on the screen in front of you. What Saul told him to do, what what Samuel told Saul to do, he anointed him as king and then he prophesied over him. And he said, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. And once those things that I have prophesied over you happen, then do whatever your hand finds to do for the Lord, your God is with you. So the instructions were, "God will be with you, do what comes before you." And that Saul lived in that for a little bit, but not long. And then if you get to Psalm to chapter 15, only five chapters away, we see the story, and this is the incredible irony of God in the way that he's working out this sermon. We see this story where Samuel through the, prophesies to to Saul from God, I need you to harem, you know that word? The totally devote to the Lord by destruction. I need you to harem this king and these people. This king and these people, every man, every woman, every child, every animal, every living and breathing thing must be Devoted to God, destroyed, killed, everyone. And it's your call, I mean, it's your, your job, go do it. Samuel goes, not Samuel, Saul goes and accomplishes that which he's been de- de- told to do. However, he spares the king and we're with understanding some of the other wealthier, richer people and he spares the best of the flocks and the best of the herds. And when Samuel shows up, he says, what? Did you not understand? God told you to destroy everything. Well, we did. We destroyed everything, but just we saved this part because we wanted to honor God with it. We were going to offer sacrifices with it. And in, jo- and in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel says to Saul... In verse, um, excuse me, verse 22, Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And then Saul says to Samuel, I've sinned, I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I can bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of Samuel's robe and it tore. And Samuel turned to him and prophesied and said, The Lord has torn the kingdom from Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. And then the king said, I have sinned. Please, please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. And so Samuel turned back with Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. And then, listen to this, then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully, thinking, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, So shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Who was Haman? He was an Agagite, an Amalekite, descended directly from King Agag. What was King Saul prophesied and declared and called to do? To destroy by death every living creature, human or otherwise, that belonged to the Amalekites. Why? Because God foresaw in his omniscience that there was going to be a time when an Agagite was going to try and destroy every living Jew off the face of the earth. So God said, I'm going to cut it off, and I'm going to nip it in the bud, I'm going to make sure it never happens. But the person who was called to do the act refused to obey out of fear. And the end result was (laughs) hundreds of years later, another person got called to have to remedy what the first person didn't get done. Ultimately, God's plan was fulfilled. Ultimately, the kingdom of God was advanced. But what could it have been like if Saul had obeyed in 1 Samuel 15, instead of waiting until Esther, for Mordecai and Esther to obey and to do away with the Agagites. Because you'll read, if you read on in, in Esther, that not only did they kill Haman, but they killed all of his kids. And they, did, they wiped out the Agagites, finally. So what is this story for us? Well, I told you about Mordecai, and Esther and Haman I told you about King Saul and King Agag and Samuel and I told you about Bob and in every situation we see the truth that God's plan is going to be fulfilled no matter what but God for whatever reason invites us to join God in accomplishing God's plan God doesn't force us God invites us welcomes us because God desires it. And we are given a great opportunity to participate and even the potential, not that it's gonna happen, but the potential for your name to be recorded in history because of the work that God called you to do that you were faithful to do. So I will challenge you I'm not in any way trying to make you feel guilty or feel badly, but I'm going to challenge you. I have been saying for months, and I still feel it. I even said it this morning when I met with somebody. I believe that God is going to break out in a powerful and mighty way in this congregation and in this community. I believe it. I believe He's been positioning us and posturing us and making it, getting it ready to happen. And I see it coming. I mean, it's it's like the it's like the rose is starting to open. I, I believe it's, we're just right there. The question is, are you gonna get the privilege of being a part of it? Or are you just gonna to continue to do what you've been doing? Which is nothing. Now, do not receive that if it's not for you, okay? Because there are some in this congregation who are using their gifts and are doing the best that they know how to honor God with all of their lives. I have no qualm with that. But if you're one of the ones that God right now, the Holy Spirit of God is saying, Mm-mm, no, he's talking right to you. Then you need to get on your face before God and say, what needs to change? And you need to make that change immediately because the window of opportunity is going to close eventually if you continue to drag your feet. It's just the way it works. I'm living proof. So let's pray.